Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Av Harachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak directly into our hearts and our minds, Father, that it be your words heard and received, your voice uh, that meets with us, encounters us, and interacts with us. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what you have in store for this day. Father, I pray that you use me as a vessel for you, you that, uh, Father, only that which you have anointed for this purpose will come forth. And Father, I, uh, I thank you for being a God that loves us so much that you do, in fact, speak to us and through us. For the good and the purposes of your kingdom, Bashem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. Uh, so this week we are in Parsha Devarim, uh, which is the first Parsha of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, anybody that's been here for a long time knows that I like to call Deuteronomy the book that should have never been. Um, the, the only reason it exists is because we refuse to walk in the will of God. Um, and the, the reality is, is that's exactly what happened. Israel did not go and take the promised land as they were instructed the first go around. And we end up with Deuteronomy, which is a, a, um, a book of the scriptures that its entire purpose is to refresh the second generation of Israel post-Egypt's mind of what the Lord has done for them up to this point, what he is going to do for them, his promises to us, and what we need to do to walk in those promises faithfully. Um, and the, the reality is, is although it is a kind of a synopsis of the journey of Israel, um, and it's kind of a, a synopsis of the rest of the, the, the Israel's experience in the Torah, uh, it's a very important and weighty book, especially for us as believers, because we have to understand that we walk in the ways of Israel quite often. We regularly mess up, right? We regularly damage or harm our relationship with the Lord and have to bounce back. We are that first generation messing up from time to time. And so the Lord, uh, I believe, as we read through the book of Deuteronomy over the next several weeks, I think it's the next 11 parshot, uh, 10 that we actually read in the synagogue uh, service, uh, the next 11 parshot are, are straight from Deuteronomy. And I believe the Lord is wanting to use these uh, passages of Scripture, and especially this time period as we prepare for the High Holy Days, uh, to awaken our hearts to what He has in store in the days to come. So I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, or, or if, if you've been sleeping under a rock or what, um, but it appears as though end-time prophecy is kind of speeding up, right? Things are happening all around us, and we're watching as all of this goes down. And so it's important that we recognize who we are in the Lord, and we take value and weight in the reality of what the Lord wants to do and can do through us, and we make sure that we keep our lives in line with his will uh, and with what he has in store for us. So with that said, I'm actually going to take, kind of like I did last week, a slightly different bent than I normally do. Uh, I'm not going to focus as much on the actual Torah Parsha, uh, but more so on the Haftar at Isaiah 1. Uh, so if you have, go ahead and open up your scripture to Isaiah 1 and get prepared. Um, I want to set you up real quick for what today is. Uh, the, there are a number of uh, uh, Shabbatot throughout the year that in Judaism have a special traditional name. One one would be uh, Shabbat Shuvah. Um, one would be Shabbat Hagadol. Shabbat Shuvah is the Shabbat in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, it's called the Shabbat Shuvah, the Shabbat of return. Uh, and uh, the Torah Parsha, or the Haft Torah Parsha, rather, that is read on Shabbat Shuvah is Hosea 14, beginning with verse 2, with uh, 
uh, God's cry through the prophet Hosea for Israel to return to the Lord their God. Um, I jokingly say we also call it Shabbat Shuvah because everybody's at synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and everybody's at synagogue on Yom Kippur and nobody wants to be called out for not being there the Saturday between. Uh, so almost every synagogue in the U.S. is packed on uh, on Shabbat Shuvah. Uh, Shabbat Hagadol, or the great Shabbat, is the Shabbat right before Pesach. This week we have Shabbat Chazon. Shabbat Chazon is the, it's known as the Shabbat of, of prophecy or the Shabbat of vision. Uh, as we look at the Parsha from Isaiah, or the, the passage from Isaiah 1, in preparation of Tishba'av, or the ninth of Av, which occurs, by the way, this coming uh, 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 Monday night going into Tuesday morning, I believe, uh, just to verify that so I don't steer anybody uh, the wrong way. I'm pretty certain it's this Monday night and Tuesday. Uh, yes, this Monday night and Tuesday is uh, Tishbab or the ninth of Av, as we said last week, when both of the temples destroyed, when the spies came back with an evil report, and a ton of uh, detrimental things that have occurred to the Jewish people over the course of the last 3,500 years, give or take, uh, all occurred on Tishbaav. Uh, and so there's a, a great reverence, not necessarily of the day, but of the mentality of repentance that begins really with Tishbaav. Um, and so this week we read Parsha, uh, the, the Haftarah Parsha at Isaiah 1, uh, and on particularly Shabbat Chazon, which is the Shabbat of prophecy and vision, because we are realigning uh, our vision, especially as believers, we should be realigning our vision with that of the Lord. Um, and so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Isaiah 1. Beginning with verse 2. It says, Listen, heavens, and hear, earth, for Adonai has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Oi, a sinful nation, a people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons dealing corruptly. They have abandoned Adonai. They have despised Israel's Holy One. They have turned backwards. Where will you be struck again as you stray away from more away more and more? The whole he head is sick, the whole heart faint. Verse 11, for what is it to me? The multitudes of your sacrifices, says Adonai. I am full of burnt offerings and rams and fat of fed animals. I have no delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand, trampling my courts? Bring no more worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Shabbat, the calling of convocations, I cannot endure it. Iniquity with solemn assembly. Your new moons and your festivals, uh, my soul hates. They are a burden to me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you multiply your prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. I want to focus in on this for just a second, all right? Right out the gate we read your, the sacrifices and the offerings, your, your holidays and, and appointed days. Who has required these of you, right? God's not confused. He knows very well that he's the one that commanded us to honor these, these appointed days and commanded us the sacrificial system and so on and so forth. What he's getting at here and, and, and what I really want to focus on this morning is the way we approach the Lord, how our heart is when we address the Lord, how we uh, uh, revere the Lord, how we live in his presence. Because the difference between Israel during the days of the temple standing uh, and, uh, and, and Israel 
post the temple standing with no sacrifices being able to be made. The difference was that when Israel would bring sacrifices to the temple, uh, especially during the days of Isaiah, they were merely doing something via rote practice. It was just something to do because it was supposed to be done. There wasn't a faith connection. There wasn't any emunah. There wasn't any faith involved in it. It wasn't avodah. It wasn't a faithful service. It was just something that had to get done. It was a chore that needed to be taken care of, so it was out the way. This is the mentality that my forefathers, uh, the, the, the previous generations of Israel, had towards, uh, towards the temple service and the sacrifice and the high holy days and so on. Believe it or not, still in modern-day uh, Judaism, to a large degree, this is also still the mentality of how we re- respond and treat the ways of the Lord. Uh, you you got to understand, we, we jokingly say that in Christianity that you have your two-year Christians, right? They go to church on Easter and Christmas. And that's about it. Um, they, they don't really go any other, unless there's some special event for a family member. They're just not going to go. That's just not how they roll. That's not what they do. In Judaism, we have the same thing. We have your two-year Jews. They go on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, and, and that's it. And they don't go any, t- any other time of the year. They're not going to deal with Pesach. They're not going to go on Shabbat normally. Uh, they, they'll celebrate Hanukkah at home because, you know, it's fun and they get to, they give gifts to their kids and whatever, and there's kind of joy that goes into it. It's a celebration. And, and many people's minds within Judaism today, celebrating Hanukkah today is less about understanding the miracle of what the Lord did and more about a cultural replacement for Christmas so that the kids are not left out. Um, and, and that's a huge problem for me because the reality is all of these things that we've now named, all of these things uh, scripturally, whether it's celebrating Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, whether it's celebrating Pesach, uh, Shavuot or Sukkot, whether it's celebrating the weekly Shabbat, whether it's celebrating the minor feast of Purim and Hanukkah, uh, all of these are things that the Lord has given us for His purposes that the Lord has given us as opportunities to recognize the work that he can do, wants to do, and has done in our lives and the lives of our forefathers. And what he wants to do is draw us back into himself. And, and I believe that the reason we read this Parsha at this particular time of the year as we prepare for Tisha B'Av, which is a day in which all that we know of in terms of temple-based Judaism suddenly came to a halt. Not once, but twice. All of that occurred because the heart of Israel, the intent of our service and our worship changed. It stopped being focused on what can we do to be a blessing to the Lord? What can we do to interact with the Lord? What can we do to receive from the Lord? What can we do to give unto the Lord? It became a practice of what can we do to keep the Lord from wiping us out? What can we do to keep the Lord happy? What can we do that we can fit God in here but still have all this other stuff the rest of the world has that we kind of like too? And as we move on and we progress through the history of Israel, that's exactly what happened. By the time the temple, the first temple was destroyed, Israel had idolatrous temples scattered around. As a matter of fact, when the kingdom split, the first thing the northern kingdom did was they set up uh, altars to pagan gods all around the perimeter, the southern perimeter of the northern kingdom so that people would have to pass them to get to Jerusalem to worship at the temple and just go, hey, what the heck, we'll just do it here. By the time the first, uh, the northern kingdom was dispersed and sent out among the nations and the southern kingdom was left remaining and they were hanging on by a thread, by the time we get there, they had already started to turn their hearts away from the Lord. And the temple service was not one of avodah and of abonah. It was one of practice that had to be fulfilled. It wasn't a heart response. It wasn't something that, that we actually wanted to do. And that's the reality is the Lord doesn't want us to, to honor his word or to do any of these things we find in the scripture because we have to. 
You know, I don't, I don't celebrate Shabbat because there's an obligation to. Celebrate Shabbat because there's a joy in the presence of the Lord that's experienced. I don't keep kosher because there's an obligation to. I do it because there's a joy in honoring the Lord. Out of everything that he has done for me, the very least I can do is honor his request. And it doesn't affect my salvation any one way or the other. Although I could, in some regards, present a case that would say, well, perhaps it affects the fruit that we produce, how people see the Lord work through us, whether or not we truly honor his ways. But the reality is, is scripturally speaking, Matthew 5 says those that keep the greatest will be the greatest, those that keep the least will be the least. You know what? At least they're there. They may be in nosebleed seats, but at least they're there. I want everything God's got in store for me. I don't want to rob myself or him of any of the blessings he has in store for me. The reality is, is we as believers have to change our mentality because I think for the body of Messiah today, the words we're reading here in Isaiah 1 are as much an accusation against us as they were against Israel worshiping at the temple. How many people do we know in our families, in our inner circles of friends, people that we work with, come into contact with on a regular basis, whose faith, best case scenario, is merely fire insurance? I believe in Yeshua just so I don't burn in hell. But there's no actual life expression that goes with it. There's no change of heart that goes with it. There's no difference in life that goes with it. And because of that, others' lives are not changed through them. As a matter of fact, because of that, I venture to say that when we are walking in a place where our faith is merely fire insurance, when we're walking in that mentality, our lives are actually doing more harm to the world around us than good. Because when we speak the truth, but we don't live in the truth, not only are we wasting our time, but we're wasting what valuable time is remaining for others to see Messiah in us. Whether we like it or not, that's the primary goal of salvation, right? The Great Commission, go, it's not to the disciples. It's not to the rabbis and the pastors and the missionaries. It's to all of us. It's to all who find faith and salvation in Messiah Yeshua, in the blood of the Lamb. Go and make Tamudim disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. That's something for all of us, but that's something that is not going to happen if all we are doing is following rote practice. If all we are doing is saying we're believers, but not actually living a life of a believer. If all we're doing is talking about the power of the Lord, but not living in the power of the Lord. We go on to verse 16 of Isaiah 1. It says, wash and make yourselves clean. I want you to, hold on, before we move forward, I want you to understand something. Isaiah is a terrifying book. And I'm not, ju- I'm not even dealing with the end-time prophecy stuff in Isaiah, right? Uh, the wills with eyes and all that. I'm not even dealing with it. Isaiah is a terrifying book in and of itself because it's, it's not only an accusation against Israel because of their sins, but it is the Lord speaking through this prophet Isaiah saying, hey, you know what? The Lord's tired of you and he's just going to wipe you out of here. He's going to push you on and get you out of here. He's going to let the land get its rest that it needs to get. He's going to have the temple destroyed. He's going to have all of these things that he has given us to be able to, re- to receive from him and interact with him and, 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 and be able to be blessed by him. He's going to take all of this stuff away and he's going to cast us into the nations until we finally have a wake-up call and come back to him. But every time the Lord speaks a, a word of Musar, a word of rebuke through Isaiah to Israel, every time he condemns Israel, every time he speaks of destruction over Israel, 
the very next thing that he says is, but if you simply make teshuvah, if you simply return back to me, I'll forget all of that. I'll forget all of it. And he's not saying, oh, you know, God, I lied again. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have done that. But okay, at least we're all good. And we go on about our day and continue to lie more and to, to, to disgrace God more. And we continue, to, continue to, to, to do this sin or that sin or whatever. But we don't actually have a change of heart or life. Teshuvah, the, the Hebrew word for repentance, means to literally turn around and walk the opposite direction of the way we've been going. So when we're sinning, we're outside of the will of God. We've chosen to walk outside the will of God. And the Lord is calling us to make teshuvah. He's calling us to stop in our tracks, to turn around and to walk back to his will, back to his presence, back to his power, back to his authority over our lives, back to his salvation. And the question is, are we willing to? Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. This passage here is, is that exact call I was talking about of the Lord calling Israel to Teshuvah. Wash and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says Adonai. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will become like wool. If you are willing and obey, you will eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. Remember, this is a, a Musara uh, uh, um, uh, correction of Israel. It's a rebuke of Israel. Very literally, I don't want to take it out of context and make it something other than it is, but as believers today, in the 21st century, I believe this is as much an accusation for us as it is anyone else. Look, within Messianic Judaism, and I'm not even going to pick on the rest of the body of Messiah right now, within Messianic Judaism, a lot of times we as individuals get hung up on the practicum reality of what it looks like to be a believer in Messianic Judaism. We get hung up on the orthodoxy. We get hung up on, okay, well, it's Shabbat, so do I tie my shoes or do I not tie my shoes? It's Shabbat, do I tear toilet paper or do I not tear toilet paper? It's Shabbat, do I prepare a meal for myself so I don't starve or do I not? It's Shabbat, do I drive to synagogue or do I not? It's Shabbat, do I carry a shofar or do I not? We get hung up in the, 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 the little bitty minutia of what it means to honor and obey the Lord, while more often than not, we're forgetting about what really matters, and what should actually be leading all of those in the first place, which is living in the power and the presence of the Lord Almighty, which is living in the presence of His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit. Because you've got to remember the words within this book, they weren't just thought up by a bunch of random dudes throughout history. The words in this book were inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Adonai. If the Spirit of God is truly at the helm in our lives, we don't have to worry about how we're going to live out His Word because He inspired those words. He has written that covenant upon our heart. And if we are truly walking in the power and the presence of His Ruach HaKodesh and our faith, those words are going to lead our lives. We don't have to question every little tiny thing. We don't have to decide, okay, well, how orthodox am I going to look or how... We don't have to worry about that. Plus, to be honest and truthful, look, I'm all for honoring the Word of God. And, and notice, I intentionally often 
I don't say we're Torah observant. I say we are scripturally observant, right? Because I don't hone in on just the first five books, just like I don't only hone in on Matthew through Revelation. It's the entirety of the Word of God. And what we realize is, is that the Word of God is a progressive revelation bringing us to the realities that God had intended in the first place. The Torah was given to us that we could live a life that is honoring to the Lord, but we had to have a change of heart before we could actually do that. And everything that has happened from creation through where we are today has been to bring us to the point where Messiah Yeshua offers his life on our behalf to cleanse us of our sins, literally doing exactly what this says, literally turning our sins, uh, which are like scarlet, so that they'll be white as snow, turning our sins that are red like crimson to become like wool. If we are willing and obey, we will eat of the good of the land, but if we refuse and rebel, we will be devoured by the sword. The whole purpose to Messiah hanging on that stake, hanging on that cross, offering his life for our sins on behalf of our mistakes, was that he could turn our sins white as snow, that he could cleanse them away, Right? That's the whole point to it, is to make us whole in him again. But as believers, we don't actually walk in that. We don't live in the power that is available through the Ruach HaKodesh because we're so focused on the steps that it takes to look like a believer. We're so focused on the words we have to speak to sound like a believer. We're so focused on the actions, on the practical reality of things, that we don't just focus on the presence of the Lord. Acts 15, the Jerusalem council says when the Gentiles are coming into the body of Messiah, let's not overbear them with all the commandments of the Torah. It's ridiculous. It's too much for them to take on right out the gate. How about we deal with their previous, their past worship structure? No more drinking blood, which is pagan worship. No more uh, temple prostitution, which is uh, fornication. No more eating foods that are strangled, which is part of pagan worship. No more uh, uh, eating foods that are offered to idols, which is a pagan form of pagan worship. How about we deal with the way they worship first because they're not worshiping those gods anymore. They're not worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and only God of Israel. And he has already ordained and prescribed a method for which us to worship him. We don't have to worry about all the minutiae stuff, the extra stuff. That'll all fall in place. That'll all happen naturally as we get closer and closer and closer in the presence of the Lord. As the Ruach HaKodesh begins to permeate and take over our lives, all of the rest of it falls in place naturally. Verse 24, Therefore says the Lord Adonai Zavod, the mighty one of Israel, Oi! I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. Then I will turn my hand on you, purge away your dross, and remove all your alloy. I will get my revenge, my vengeance on my enemies. And then I'll turn to you. The Lord's enemy is who? Hasatan, the adversary, the accuser, right? He's going to get his victory over the enemy. As a matter of fact, he already has because... In God's perspective, everything that's ever going to happen has already happened. He's already had his victory over the enemy. Now he's turning to us. See, the reason he's turning to us is because the reality is, as we allow the enemy to mess with our lives and to direct our footsteps rather than the Lord directing our footsteps. It's the enemy that gets involved in our lives and, and starts to mess with our theology. It's the enemy that gets involved with our lives that tries to get us to focus on the legalistic realities of how to look like a messianic believer or how to look like a believer in general. It's the enemy that gets us so twisted up in the minutia that we lose focus of the grander picture of things that we lose focus of what the Lord is really trying to do in our lives. 
and what he wants to work through us and for us. But he goes on in verse 26 and says, I will restore your judges as at first, your counselors as at the start. Afterward, you will be called city of righteousness, faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her, and her in uh, with justice, her repentant uh, with righteousness. The Lord promises redemption and not just redemption, but redemption, <laughs> repeal and replace, right? We'll play around with this for a second because the Words are readily available in the news at the moment. Uh, repill and replace. The Lord, I'm not talking healthcare. The Lord says, I will repill your sinful ways and I will replace it with righteousness. How is he going to replace it with righteousness? Jeremiah 31, I give you a new covenant. One that's not etched on stone or on parchment, but on the very flesh of your heart. He has taken the covenants he has already made with his people. He has taken us natural and unnatural branches and grafted us back into the root and the fatness, which is his people, Israel. And instead of the covenant being one that we have to open up a scroll or a book to see in order to understand, he's now placed it within our hearts and our lives so that we are truly led and inspired by his Ruach HaKodesh to walk faithfully in him. We as believers have to get our minds wrapped around this. Like I've said, for weeks on end, we don't have time to play games anymore. We don't have time to put on the believing show. We don't have time to waste our energy on trying to make people see uh, that the words we speak are true or make people understand as we Bible thump the salvation into them. It doesn't work anymore. I don't, I'm not convinced it ever worked. I'm not convinced that fire and brimstone preaching ever worked. I've never met a single person that was scared into salvation. All right? I don't think it works. I don't know that it's ever worked. I'm not convinced that it has. But you know what does work? When people see the power of God in our lives. The power of God in our lives is not focused on every little minutiae detail of what it looks like to be a believer. As a matter of fact, when we focus in on those, it turns everyone else off. That's not to say that we don't honor the word of God because I wholeheartedly believe we should, without a doubt, honor the word of God. But there's a way to honor it where it doesn't look like it's a chore, where it doesn't look like it's a have to, but rather a want to. If we're going to honor his word, it should be in response for what he's done for us. Not because we think we have to earn something. Or because we think in order to really be saved, we have to take on these extra practices. It should be because of everything he's done for us. I want to ask you to turn to Matthew 5 real quick. The Sermon on the Mountain. Matthew 5, there's always been great debate over this as to whether or not the Lord was flipping theology around and and doing or undoing the Torah or reestablishing or destroying the Torah or what have you. But I want to put some of Matthew 5 in context for you in, in relation to what we're reading in Isaiah this week. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thir- who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice when he says, seek justice. In Isaiah 1, that's seeking justice. That's answering it. But notice there's not a thing in there that contradicts the rest of the Bible. Right? Notice here in verse 11, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Somehow we as believers have entirely flipped that statement around to where instead of, Instead of them reviling us and instead of them uh, persecuting us on account of him, we as believers, we as the body of Messiah have managed to flip this thing around so much that now they revile the Lord because of us. Non-believers revile the Lord. They want nothing to do with them because they see us. They see the way we act and we live and we talk just like the nation saw Israel and how Israel said one thing and did something different. Over and over and over and over again. And the nations looked at Israel and said, I don't need that garbage. Why would I want any of that? That's a mess. That's a mess. But what was it that the Lord called Israel out for? It was to be a light to the nations. And instead, we're turning the nations away from the Lord. And what is it he called us as believers to do? To be a light unto the world. And what is it we're doing instead quite often? And more often than not, we're turning believers away, our non-believers away from the Lord. It's time that we change our mentality. It's time that we hone in on the word of God. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Yeshua throughout the Gospels in general, the words of Paul, the words of the apostles and the, the, the Tamadim and Acts and, and other places throughout the Brach HaDashah, these are not words that undo Scripture. These are words that realign our reality to the fact that Scripture means nothing in our lives if it's not being led by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that inspired those words in the first place. We go forward in Matthew 5 and, and Messianic Jews, Messianic Judaism, we love to beat down and beat up on verse 17 through 19 uh, as though it is the, the culminating reality of the Messianic Jewish movement and the, the end time revival that is Messianic Judaism. But I want you to understand something. I'm, I'm not going to read the verses, but I want you to understand something. All of it comes down to the reality that the Lord says. Those that keep the greatest and teach others do so will be the greatest in the kingdom. And those that, keep the, that, that teach others do the least will be the least in the kingdom. He doesn't say, if you don't honor the Torah fully, you will not be in the kingdom. Because salvation is not on how we honor the Torah. It is on whether we have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Whether we honor the Torah comes through what the Lord has done in us. And if we're only doing it because we feel like we have to, you might as well put up shop now because there's no point to it. Get your heart right, and then worry about the practical realities of it. But we go on, and he talks about, as we move through uh, uh, Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said it's a sin to commit murder, but I tell you, if you've even hated somebody in your heart, you've already committed it. You've heard it's a sin to commit adultery, but I say if you've even lusted after somebody in your heart, you've already committed it. And he goes on and on, and it's over and over again. We see these things. He says, uh, don't make vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what he does is he realigns our perspective of Scripture because for whatever reason, and, and look, believers are just as guilty as, as ancient Judaism was. For whatever reason, we have, as followers of the Lord of Israel, we have managed to convince ourselves, and I don't know why, but we have managed to convince ourselves 
that our faith should be lived from the outside in. But the reality is it's got to be lived from the inside out. The inside has to be changed. What Yeshua is saying is he's not flipping the Torah over. He's not going and destroying what the Torah says. He's not contradicting it. Instead, he is correcting our perspective. He's correcting our theology. He's correcting the ways that we have bastardized the word of God. And he's saying, look, for every physical, external command that I have given you, there's an equally important internal command that I have also given you. Murder and hatred were both dealt with in the Torah. Adultery and lust were both dealt with in the Torah, right? It's nothing new. He didn't pop something new on the scene. It's all been dealt with before. But what he says is for every external commandment, for every external uh, action, there's an internal action that predicates it. You're not going to commit murder if you don't hate somebody. You're not going to commit adultery or fornication if you don't lust after somebody, and so on and so forth. And he says, if you let me, if you let me take care of the inside, where is it the Messiah resides in our lives? In our hearts. What is it the word tells us we have become? The tabernacle of the presence of the Lord. The temporary dwelling place of the presence of the Lord. His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit now resides within us. His Shekhinah is the dividing, defining factor of our lives, or at least it should be. And he says, if you let me handle the inside, the outside will fall in play. The outside will do everything it's supposed to do. If you let me take care of the heart, the flesh will be right with me. We have this messed up mentality that we've flipped it around where it's all actions and it's not just Messianic Judaism. It's not just the fact that we keep Shabbat and, and strive to keep kosher or whatever else. It's not because we think the Torah is important or anything like that. It's not because of anything within Messianic Judaism. It's the body of Messiah as a whole that has done this. Whether you're talking of, of praying to iconography in Orthodox and Catholic Christianity whether we're talking about uh, uh, the legalistic realities of, of hyper-legalistic uh, branches of Christianity. Uh, my, my mom grew up in a, a, a denomination, I don't know if I can name which one, but my mom grew up in a denomination where uh, women had to wear long skirts. They weren't allowed to wear pants. They had to wear long skirts. Their hair couldn't be, uh, couldn't be uh, cut short. It had to be long. They weren't allowed to wear makeup. The only jewelry they could wear was a, a wedding ring, uh, an engagement ring. They, their, their, their sleeves had to be a certain length. Uh, and, and all of this, men had to have a particular type of haircut. They weren't allowed to wear shorts. Uh, you couldn't wear short sleeves because, <laughs> heaven forbid, how many of us regularly find ourselves lusting after elbows and knees, right? I don't understand it, but whatever. And somehow we've managed to flip all of this around to where it's action-based rather than Spirit of God-based, all right? We flipped it around where it's action-based rather than Spirit of God-based. And the reality is, is our faith, our lives, our practice of our relationship with Yeshua should be Spirit-based. It should be internal-based and everything else should flow from it. The problem with Israel was that they would do all of the right things. They just did it with the wrong heart. The question is, are you doing the right things with the wrong heart or the right heart? Where is your life right now? Where is your heart, your perspective, your theology based right now? Is it based on Yeshua and his guidance of the Ruach HaKodesh being the central focus of everything that we do as believers? Or is it based on putting on a show for the world around us? How often do we speak the words without the inspiration? 
Or how often is it we have the inspiration and we refuse to honor it? How often is it that we find ourselves in a position, especially in an environment like this, in worship? How often is it that we find ourselves in a position where we worship because we're supposed to, but we don't have the reverence that goes with it? We don't have the fear that goes with it. How often is it we find ourselves in a position where we're telling others how they should be living their lives, knowing good and well that our lives are total mess? How often is it that we're encouraging others to adhere to the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the power of the Spirit of God, yet we don't do it? How often is it we encourage others to be in communion with the Lord daily, yet we don't do it? How often is it we condemn other believers' actions and lifestyles and practices and, and beliefs while at the same time not putting our own to check against the Spirit of the Lord? How often is it that it's an us versus them mentality, whether it's the body versus the world? or it's Messianic Judaism versus the church, or anything else. How often do we have an us versus them mentality instead of a kingdom mentality which wants all of us? How often is it that we do all the right things, but we don't do them with the right heart? We don't have the emunah and the avodah, the faith and the service of heart to go with it. We do it because we feel there's an obligation, a want to, a need to, but we don't actually allow the Spirit of God to lead us. It's time that we take to heart, especially as we arrive to Tishba'av in two days, the ninth of Av, which by the way is a fast day, and I encourage you to fast on Tishba'av. Traditionally, you would fast food and anything enjoyable. I encourage you to fast something, set something aside. And spend that time instead focusing on the Lord. Getting our hearts right and ready. Because the next seven weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the next seven weeks we're reading uh, passages from Isaiah 40 to 60 in which the Lord is telling us that he is bringing redemption for us. That he is going to restore us. It's the seven messages of consolation in which the Lord is consoling Israel post the destruction of the temple, which the words were given before the destruction, but it's a consolation post the destruction of the temple. The Lord telling us, look, I know things look bleak now, but it's not over and I'm not done with you and I've got more in store. Just give me a chance. Just allow me to have control. I encourage you right now, this very day, it's time that we give the Lord control in our lives. It's time that we give him control. We've tried it long enough on our own and we fail miserably. It's time that we give him control so that we can impact the world around us, so that there can be fruit produced from our lives, so that we do show the world around us that there is a light in this darkness. One of the things he talks about in Matthew 5, Yeshua talks about how we've been given a light and nobody with a light hides it under a bush. That's true, we shouldn't. But as believers, we hide it under a whole bunch of other baggage. We may have weeded the bushes out the way, but we hide it under a whole bunch of other baggages. 
It's time that we clean our lives up, that we allow the Lord to clean our lives up so that we can be renewed and refreshed in Him. The thing that kept Israel out of the promised land in the first place was a refusal to trust in the Lord's leading, to do what He said and know that He's already prepared the way. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of it. We have the book of Deuteronomy, the book that should have never been, I like to call it, because of the fact that the first generation failed so miserably that Moses had to spend the last three to four weeks of his life refreshing the second generation of exactly what it is the Lord can do and wants to do through them and how important it is that they live in covenant relationship with him. Notice in Deuteronomy how often the concept of covenant comes up. Not just honoring commandments, but covenant relationship. Notice how often the, the, the encouragement to be strong and not afraid of the enemy comes up. As we move through these next seven weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah and the, the season of repentance that we're entering into, it's time that we truly repent and realign our lives with the will of God, with the Spirit of God, with the ways of God. So the world around us sees him in our lives before they ever see us. So they sense his power and presence among them. I pray that the Lord will grant us the presence of his Shekhinah's divine glory in such a powerful way that people will see a literal pillar of cloud and fire above us leading them to the Lord. It's time that we get back to that mentality. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of, of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is merciful. Father, that even though we deserve so much worse, you have been merciful and gracious to us and forgiven us our mistakes, forgiven us our sins, forgiven us our uh, 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 damaging our relationship with you. And you have given us a work of salvation in Messiah Yeshua that we may be restored to you. You have given us a better covenant in our heavenly priest, Messiah Yeshua, that we can be redeemed. That you have given us the opportunity to put our past behind us so that we can boldly, as Hebrew says, boldly enter your throne room. Father, I thank you for being a God who loves us and who yearns for us for being that God that carries us when we can't walk and for being the God that never leaves us or forsakes us even when we have left your will and your ways. Abba, I pray that you give us a fresh indwelling and an overflowing of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit, that you realign our eyes, our heart, our mind, our theology, with your ways and that you make us more like you every waking moment that we breathe your breath of life in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says Amen, Amen.